you are listening to The Cumberland Road, and I'm your host, T.J. Melanoski. My guest this week is Carla Bellis. She is the president of the Ministry Council of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. She is a member of the Orange Cumberland Presbyterian Congregation in Missouri. In our faith conversation, Carla speaks about her faith, her family, her career, forming a prayer group, and serving the church. We pack a lot of information in our time together. So now, my friends, enjoy this conversation with Carla Bellis. Carla, you are the president of the Ministry Council of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. What is the Ministry Council, and what is your role as president? Well, the Ministry Council is a term that is used a lot now uh, for the last few years, but not everyone knows exactly what it means when they use it. Um, Most of the time, in a very positive way, sometimes maybe not. Um, But there are are, uh, sort of two, to me, big parts of it. We have the staff that um, is the ministry council, and these would be uh, the team leaders, the director of ministries, and other staff that work either full or part-time for the Cumberland Presbyterian denomination. Then there are elected members uh, on the ministry council, and together, the elected members, as Edith has explained it to me, are basically like a corporate board. Um, We we function as a corporate board in in the state of Tennessee. So the purpose of the ministry council is to, uh, as elected members, is to vision for the church, to to get good ideas and, and look ahead to the future. But also we work with the budget which is not so much fun, but it's very, very important. And we um, try to be a support to the staff, but also the staff is accountable to the elected members because it's the board. So it's kind of like a flowing back and forth thing, really. You know, when I think about that, whenever I came on the ministry council a little over six years ago, I had no idea what I was getting into. None. <laughs> and and that I and I, I've been a part of the church all my life, and I have been on other kinds of committees or functions in the denominational level, but I had not been um, on this. And um, so it was a learning curve at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, but from the beginning, I was, you know, very committed, very interested, wanted to do my best on that. So this this is beginning my third term. Um, you can serve three terms of three years, and then after that, you know, you go off. You can't be back on again. <laughs> so so. Ele- elected <laughs> members, we'll come back to the president question. The elected yes. members are uh, individuals, lay mm-hmm. and ordained, yes. who uh, are representatives throughout the denomination. Yes. 
And I think there's a gu- and I couldn't quote all the guidelines, but there are guidelines to be sure that it's it's um, there's a equal a, a fair representation of laity and clergy, and a fair representation on gender and a fair representation across geographically. Okay. So so all of those things are considered in the in the guidelines for that. In the staff, part time and full time, mm-hmm. are denominational employees. Yes. Generally speaking. Uh, what is the focus of the uh, the denominational employees and the staff in terms of the denomination at large? Well, and that gets tricky on people understanding as well, because um, several years ago, I won't quote the exact number, the Ministry of Council was formed and established. And there are agencies that operate under General Assembly that are not part of the ministry council and there and and yet the ministry council itself does operate under the general assembly so uh, we deal and the ministry council staff and members to promote and support and the ministries of the church um and i know that gets a little murky too but if you think about the different branches then you, it will make more sense so if you you have the missions component which is a missions ministry team and that would be global missions as well as missions, you know, um, amongst the congregations. Um, Then you have discipleship ministry team, which is the education and support of Christians in the church. And then you have the pastoral development team, which helps, encourages, and gives resources for ordained clergy. And then you have the communications ministry team, which deals with all things communication-wise. You know, the magazines, the um, the website presence, the technical part of that. For example, I like to say, okay, well, what's not under ministry council? Well, you know, the office of the General Assembly is not a part of the ministry council. Okay. Um, the historical foundation is not a part of the ministry council. So those are examples of things you may have heard of or worked with and you go, Oh, okay. You know, so that there are others, but that's, those are examples people may have heard of or, or worked yeah. with. Yeah. Like, uh, the board of stewardship, not, not a part, part of the ministry council. Yeah. All right. I realize that's a loaded question. I was asking a question that <laughs> uh-huh. I somewhat know the answer to. Um, but I wanted to hear it from you as president and which leads into that part of the question that I don't necessarily know the answer to. What is the role of the president of the ministry council? Well, I'll do my best. Um, the, as I mentioned before, the ministry council elected members form actually a corporate board. That's the legal terminology for that in the state of Tennessee. And as a part of a corporate board, you do have officers of that board. Mm-hmm. And those are elected annually amongst the elected members. So um, in the spring, there will be like a nominating committee from the ministry council, and they will come up with names, um, but they will wait to do the report till after GA because there may be new people coming on or people that um, are up for re-election to the ministry council might get voted down at GA. Um, so, so, so therefore, then in August, then we elect uh, officers for the year. Um, there is a president a first vice president, a second vice president, and a secretary. And the treasurer is not elected each year. Uh, Edith serves as treasurer, as far as I'm understanding, as the director of ministry. So that's interesting kind of sidebar there too. But the, the president 
um, will run the meetings just like you would say. I mean, I grew up in 4-H, so I have 4-H club skills when I was nine years old and you elected a president, the president ran the meeting. So, you know, I learned to make a motion and all those things and vote whenever I was very young. And so it's really that. I mean, the president will facilitate the meeting. Um, one thing that I learned more recently that gets gets confusing when people uh, compare it to things like a presbytery or GA or like other uh, organizations the president can vote on this corporate board. They do not have to wait for a tie. I learned that just this past year. I didn't realize that. But um, you're still part of the corporate board, so you still have a vote differently than, like, say, at Presbyterian, the moderator who's moderating the session, you know, only breaks a tie. So it really gets murky on those those kinds of rules. But but that they run the meetings. Uh, in between, though, uh, the whole officer team serves as, as the executive sort of branch of that. So the executive officers might meet uh, more often on a, on a Zoom call or on a phone conference and maybe sit and work with the agenda for the next meeting, that type of thing. This past year, though, um, every two weeks, uh, I, uh, I have a phone call with Edith, the director of ministries, Edith Busby Old, director of ministries, and we, every two weeks, we talk uh, to keep me updated on what's going on, for me to be able to express questions or concerns to her. That's not always done, but that's something she has done sometimes with presidents who also felt that was important. And we've done it the last year and we'll continue that for this next year. And it's been very helpful to keep my head in the game and to keep us both communicating. What perks, what power do you have as the president? <laughs> well, I don't know of any perks, really. <laughs> are you provided? Other than I've, I, you... I've, I've become really good friends with a lot of people, or at least like got to know people really well from intense right. conversations. But, <laughs> You're not yeah. provided a vehicle uh, or, or no. An In fact, you know what happened? Another thing I learned. No, no. <laughs> One thing I also learned on the, this corporate board thing is is how corporate boards are supposed to function in nonprofits. Is we're really supposed to bring money in and give money. <laughs> I didn't know that when I fell signed up either. I did not know that. Um, so we are encouraged to donate back even our mileage and um, mm. our things. You know, some things. So no, no. Uh, I drive my van or rent a car, depending which is cheaper. Uh, mm -hmm. when I go to, when I do drive to Memphis to meetings. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I almost, I don't back a lot. So. How important is fundraising for a Christian organization like the ministry council yeah. within a denomination? Gosh, it, it more important than I ever realized either. You know, mm -hmm. when you're younger and you're doing things, you're volunteering here, there and everywhere. You you really don't think about that that much. You're just doing stuff, you know, always doing stuff. And the older you get, and the more you realize, oh, somebody's got to pay for that, and someone's got to give that money, you know. So uh, it's really important. It's important on on the ministry council level on the big scale, but it's also important uh, on the presbyterial level on your congregational level. I I'm also currently a co business manager for our presbyterial camp. I've been doing that for a little over a year, and um, Things, of course, now when I take that on, everything costs more. Groceries are more. Right. Paper towels are more. And so um, I'm having to like, you know, 
figure we're figuring out ways to save or to get people to donate more so that we can have church camp and youth retreats and all those things, you know, so <laughs> everybody always needs the money. Did you imagine at any point that you would be serving the, the church, the denomination and the capacity that you are now? No, no, not like this at all. I, um, uh, Gosh, I've always been really, really involved, you know, on the local and the and and so once I was an adult on the on the presbyterial and regional level, I've been very, very involved in women's ministry since I was, you know, 18 years old. I was I've been involved in those things and and on the on that level, you know, but but probably the first, gosh, go way back. In women's ministries, I gradually was involved a lot. I was on a task force when things were reorganized. Um and that was like a three-year thing, a, a big, big thing in the '80s, and and uh, on past that, and then uh, then became convention president later, which really surprised me too. But still, that was not out of realm. But this whole thing, this this ministry council thing is it's crazy. I crazy. I don't know how to even describe how crazy it is. And I and I remember. Okay, this might go into another question later about like ways you see God working. But, uh, and, I, and I did serve on the nominating committee for the nomination several years ago, too, and that was another crazy experience. But um, this ministry council thing, I never would have just volunteered for this. Mm-hmm. But I had people say it. Why don't you consider? Why don't you consider? You know, please consider this. And I remember um, really thinking, oh, my gosh, at this, this age, I'm like, mm, I'm not sure. But I wanted, I, I've had the feeling if, if God wanted me to do it, I was willing to do it. Talk to my husband, talk to friends, pray for me. I, well, you know, so, and I won't go into all the details of how it happened, but it was just one of those deals that in spite of me, you know, it just, it, you know, it happened. It happened kind of beyond any comprehension to where I knew it was the thing I needed to do, but it, 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 it scared me a little bit because I knew there was a whole deal. Um, my sister was involved with ministry council before that, and then the GA council before that, and I, heard her talking about it. And I just thought, wow, this is like really important and a really big deal. And I don't know, you know, so. So it, here see, I am. Still. Yeah, <laughs> you see how important it is. And um, I'm going to ask you, a, it's probably a silly question, but in the different areas that you just mentioned in terms of service in the church locally, and then, you know, with various judicatories and boards and agencies, mm-hmm. Do ministers, I'm going to throw myself in Uh this group, do you find them to be, let me rephrase it, do you find us to be intimidating in these types of uh, meetings and roles uh, over the course of your time? You just, uh, how does that work? How does that work for you? Are we nice Um, or are we nasty? (laughs) Well, it depends on, on the time and place and person. But it is intimidating for laity to sit with clergy in general, I think. I, I I didn't see, again, in women's ministry stuff I did, you know, there were few clergy women involved early on. Mm-hmm. And so really, it was it was a bunch of really committed, wonderful women that wanted to do things. And it was, it was just almost always a very, very pleasant experience. Mm-hmm. Inspiring friendships, building, doing amazing things together. So that so you come on like say for instance when i was on the nominating committee for the denomination in those three years um that that was a jump in the darkness you know and that that was tricky but 
then the minister council in particular, because you've got a, quite a few people on the council. And by and large, when I've, at the times I've been on it, most of the men are clergy and most of the women have been lay people. It just has worked out with geographically. And so you had the gender and the lady clergy thing kind of going on. And it, it's, it's a struggle at times. Because and I, and I get that sort of because I I've been a, an educator all my career up to 30, 35 years of education, and a room full of teachers can be just as intimidating. If you are you know <laughs> you get you get into like um, like speaking to a group of teachers and they don't listen, they don't raise their hand, they don't put their names on their paper, they don't do any of the things they want their kids to do because they're used to running their classroom. They're like, this is my, and I'm going to do by doggies what I'm going to do. And that, and they need to be able to do that to a degree. Well, I kind of think it, it reminds me a little bit of, of pastors because with, you know, there may be some exceptions, but generally they, they have their own church. They have their own thing. They're in charge. They're speaking to the group. They're, they're doing things and they, they struggle with listening in a group or, or thinking that laity know much about like church um, theology or church um, government mm-hmm. or like running a meeting. So yeah, I've I've had some challenges, especially as president. You know. Yeah, I bet. But it, it aren't those those tensions are wonderful because it gives that opportunity for give and take and. You're forced in those types of meetings, I would imagine, to embrace another perspective mm-hmm. or context because of the different places that you're coming mm-hmm. from in life and geographically, theologically, mm-hmm. all those different yes. things here. Because business has to be conducted. Yeah. You can't leave until it's concluded. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there yeah. has to be. So, in th- those ways, I think that the tensions would be. They're wonderful in the sense because it is a, a collaboration and a working mm-hmm. together with those diverse uh, perspectives and viewpoints, but also just backgrounds as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, and I just got a sort of vision of, of when you mentioned that, it, 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 that's very true. And also I'm thinking like, it's like a, a microcosm of the church mm-hmm. because, you know, we're representing in, in lots of ways, the denomination in this way. So the denomination itself is clergy and laity, men and women from different geographical areas, different cultures and different um, interpretations sometimes of theology. So if we have the goal of collaborating and coming up, you know, then that, you know, one would hope that the church as a whole mm-hmm. would do the same thing and could, could be doing that. Yeah. Yeah. You were telling me off mic that you spent 45 years in the public school system. 35, not 45. You were telling 30. me off mic that <laughs> you, yeah, you were telling me off mic. Isn't that right? That, yeah. 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 All right. Let me try this okay. again. <laughs> Carla, you were telling me off mic that you spent 35 years in the public uh, school system. Yeah. What did you do? And uh, what was that like? I uh, taught English for three years. My bachelor's degree is in English education. And so I taught two years of high school and one year of junior high. And uh, the very first 
year of teaching, I already, because I'm an overachiever most of the time, I started grad school and, uh, and knew within a semester of teaching English that I wanted to be a school counselor. So I started the counseling program alongside that. I, I found early in my first year of teaching that I, I had a lot more interest in helping kids with their lives and their careers than necessarily teaching them how to write, which is really hard to do, people. It's a really hard <laughs> job. English teachers have. I mean, teaching high school students how to do research papers is not fun and games. Um, but but anyway, so and I also, because I had a little picture of that because whenever I was in high school, I worked two summers in the counselor's office and um, saw what they did. And and uh, that's in the days when you used typewriters to type grade cards and schedules with six carbon. And so I learned, <laughs> that's what I did. I typed, I typed, schedules um on carp six copy carbon and blank grade cards on four copies carbon and help record great grades by pen and and ink mm -hmm. uh, but i saw what they did and i they were so i really liked the counselors and i'm like so it had a so when i started teaching i'm like i could do that and i just had a real excitement so so therefore then i taught, taught te uh, i taught english for three years and then uh Later, um, when I finished my degree, there was an overabundance of school counselors in the state of Missouri when I graduated with my degree. And so I didn't think I could get a job. And I, I uh, started working at a bank and uh, there weren't any English jobs open. And then real quick story is that, you know, out of um, out of the blue, my father saw two lines of an advertisement in the Springfield newspaper. This is a really big newspaper, Springfield, Missouri, at, for part time counselor and needed at Ludwig Marjorieville High School. And he called me and I and I and I was working at a bank just, you know, as a secretary, just kind of doing my thing. And I had, had had a new baby and all this stuff going on. So I'm like, whoa, that's weird. So I called him. I'm like and I lived like 60 miles away. So this was going to be a commute. But did, it, now there's a call, shortage of counselors. But I call I call the principal's office. Did, did and you I call said, them from the bank? Uh, I call. <laughs> that's a good question. And I don't remember. I think I called real early in the morning and I caught somebody. I don't remember. I know okay. that. I, I called and I asked about it and they and they said, well, we're getting ready to recommend them to the board tonight. Can you come this morning and this morning in the morning at 730? That was what they were like, yeah, the next morning. And I'm like, yes. And so I drove to the drove to the school, met with the principal. And at the end of the conversation, and I said, I've got to go to work. I've got I can't lose my job. He said, OK. He said, could you come back this afternoon and talk to the superintendent? Because he's gone today. But I want he says, I want you to talk to him. I think I'd like to recommend you. He's already ready to recommend somebody else. This was just so weird. Wow. So I went back to the bank, worked at the bank, came back, talked to the superintendent. He says, you know, the board's meeting tonight. He says, I'd like to recommend you for this job. Can you come back? And I'm like, so I went home and I came back. <laughs> and uh, it was just a crazy thing. I was there. I, I, I started out part-time in January. They put me to full-time. And uh, then I stayed uh, for three more years after that. And then the opening came up closer to home. So I was at Mount Vernon High School. Um, that's, I will go into that long story. There's another story there about God putting me where he wanted me to be. Um, but I was there for like 28 years at Mount Vernon High School as a school counselor. So I, I, it was a great, great, great experience. wonder what happened to the other person. They were ready to recommend No, they them. were. They were ready to do that. It was just as clear. It was just so weird. I, it was. Um, I don't know. And I don't know. But uh, it, it's sort of a sidebar to that whole counseling thing when I, when there weren't any openings and I was really finishing my degree, I was like, you know, Lord, I, I thought you wanted me to be a counselor. And he, and I'm like, and I remember at one point in my conversations with God, he, he asked me, he says, are you willing to not be a counselor and follow me wherever I lead you? 
And I, that was really hard, but I, I said, okay. And I remember I gave that, I think, okay, you know, and it was very, not long after that, that this came up, I, you know, and uh, it, it was just cool. What stands out to you from your school counseling career? What was most meaningful? That's a big question. You know, I really saw children's lives changed. I mean, I was, I was always like, I was the, you know, only counselor for grades nine through 12. So you see them coming as freshmen and then, you know, you hoped to see them graduate in four years unless they moved away, you know, and mm-hmm. some didn't, most did. And to see the changes in people and, and to be there in, and as a school counselor, at least around here, you're, you're really involved with graduation time, count, you know, getting them ready to graduate, the seniors and all that stuff. And then the ceremony even, and you got to see them and see people graduate that, you know, you would have not given a nickel for maybe in ninth grade. <laughs> we're going to make a difference. But you see that. And probably in the later years, the, the kids with the most problems were the most interesting to me you know, mm-hmm. that had the most to overcome, that didn't have support. Uh, we had a, um, a Missouri Baptist Children's Home in our district from the whole time I was there in Mount Vernon. And those kids came to school to us. And these are kids who, you know, were either in foster care and placed there or parents couldn't deal with them and they were placed there. And mm-hmm. and it, they were, you know, so that was, you saw some kids with some really serious issues and just seeing it, making a difference, you know, it, it, it was amazing. And, and, and in different times, you really could see how you could, you could share Jesus with them in a way that was appropriate, you know, to be loving and accepting. And, and, and it was, you know, very, very uh, fairly conservative school district. And nobody was really getting into the ACLU problems or any of that stuff, you know, and I'm going to have like, you know, I could have like a little placard on my, on my bulletin board, you know, and, you know, things around my office that reflected my faith and, Sometimes they just, you know, like look at that and go, well, what's that about? You know, and you could just let, draw them out. And, and, and I think probably even a lot of the kids who were already Christians, who were in Christian situations, they felt comfortable there and they felt like they could talk and no one was going to critique them. Mm. And they could share their their story and I could listen and they knew it was OK. You know? Yeah, let's talk more about that. Mm-hmm. Help, help me, maybe others <laughs> could only just be me help uh, shape my understanding of a school counselor beyond um how what phrase would i use a a, a career counselor mm-hmm. and someone to help you fill out your college application mm-hmm. cuz i know there's more to it than that but that's what i recall so yeah. help expand that this is your opportunity yeah. oh, to gosh. expand <laughs> that role that it's mm-hmm. much more than that yeah yeah, it is. And the older I got in the later years of my profession, that was the least interesting to me because kids, you know, the, the, the kids that were like really struggling, fascinated me more, you know, to work with because you they needed you more, you know. Well, OK, in the state of Missouri, and I'm not sure about other states, they have what's called model guidance. And there's components to the ideal situation for a school counselor and some school districts did this better than others. But that there was the career education is a portion of what you do. And then academic and then academic planning, which is kind of different than career exploration and planning. Mm-hmm. And at a high school level, you do more of that because it's just time for it. But also there's the component of you know really dealing with those kids and their um, social emotional situations. 
you don't have time for therapy, like long-term therapy. There just isn't time. I was the only counselor of about 500 kids. So no, but you, you were the first step to, to target situations, to notice if somebody really did need referring on for some count, some intense counseling, or just sort of like those um, incidents that happen and yet they just need somebody for the day or they need somebody for a couple of days to just to help. You know, I think about situations like when, we, when we've had a death in the school, like a, a student in a car accident, you know, and, and that, or, or we've had through the years, a teacher that died, uh, one died at school. That was an interesting, yeah. So you're managing to, oh yeah. I mean, kids came in and she was dead in her chair, had a heart attack. Oh, yeah. Man. So you have weird stuff like that and you work with the teachers and with the principals to manage those crisis situations. Mm-hmm. Um, but you you just have kids, you know, there's so many problems and so many situations. Oh, a lot of it too is like, to me, like a mediator between teachers, parents, and kids. So kids are like not doing well in class. Well, teachers t- and parents tend to, to not want to call the teacher. So they would either call the principal and complain or they would call me and want me to fix it. Say, <laughs> my child is not doing well, and, and can you you just need to do something about that? You know, that happened all the time. So trying to bring together, you know, teaching, helping kids know how to approach the teacher with a question, parents to go to the teacher, and so that, and then teachers. I spent a lot of time with teachers. Teachers would um, be good. The good ones would would notice when kids needed help, and then be able to, you know, say, hey, I'm worried about Susie today. She's really different. Mm-hmm. Um, something's going on. And then I could pull Susie in. Susie's the name I use for like the generic girl in class, yes. you know, Susie comes in and then you can, you can, and then you can maybe check with her other teachers. Like I would go through and check with Mr. Jones and Mrs. Hanover and all these different people, you know, to see how Susie doing in your class to see there's a pattern. So you, you do that. And then you, maybe you would pull the teachers in and go, yeah, you know, I, you know, this is blah, blah, blah. Did you know that Susie, um, you know, uncle passed away last week, you know, or something like that. So they kind of go, Oh, I didn't know that. Or she, she struggles with, or this is her mother died a year ago. And this is the end of her. So I would do a lot of in between because the teachers are with the kids every day and I can't be. So I try to, or parents try to get kids to talk to their parents or parents to talk to the teacher tons of time with that mediation between them. Yeah. And for all the Susie's out there listening and the Mr. Jones, Carla (laughs) isn't speaking of you specifically. You're a great person, great people. Yeah. Just just using the name as an example. I only had one Susie as a student. I only had one Susie as a student. It was my first year year teaching, not even as a counselor. And uh, she was great. (laughs) She was great. So I can use that name pretty well. And she'd know. Okay. in the field of counseling, mm-hmm. how did your Christian faith help you as an individual? And how did you see it impact the students and the teachers and staff, the faculty in in their day-to-day life as well? You had a you had a unique opportunity to be able to be in both the lives of the students and the lives of the faculty. And not every role allows that in the school system. Mm-hmm. So how did your faith help you in those heavy moments? But also how did how did your faith speak to the many people, young and those in the workforce uh, in their daily lives? I don't even know how I could have possibly done my job without being, having been a Christian that was believed in prayer, that believed that God was there. 
because it was a constant, like you'd be going like weird stuff happened and the speaker like going, what can I do about that? I mean, the problems that kids would share with you sometimes like, oh my goodness, there's no way I had an answer for that on my own. So it was just vital to my, to my career to have a, a prayer life, to have a faith, to um, have a support system of people in my life that could help with that. Um, I, I was fortunate that a, a lot of the staff I work with uh, and most of the administrators I work with were Christian people who were not just, I go to church, but were they, they were there in that school because it, to them it was a ministry also. It was an outreach. They cared about kids and they were real. And so, so that you just knew that about certain people that they were there and they were there for you. There were, there were some teachers that were not, mm-hmm. you know, it's the same thing, but, but it was, but it was, there was enough that you had a, a good support system, but it was tricky because in your public education, you know, we, we are required by law not to, you know, indoctrinate people politically or religiously, you know, we're, su- we're supposed to not push our faith or our political opinions actually on to kids. Uh, they have to open the door. They have to. So it was, it was a little tricky at times. And I remember um, early on in my struggling, like, when might I, might I share my faith and not be, you know. And so and it's not that I wasn't willing to do it, even if it was like could get me in trouble because it would be more important me to reach out to somebody as a Christian than it would be to get in trouble with my boss. But it was like, when's the right time? And I remember. um Early, again, early on, I was at Rogersville for four years and then 28 years at Mount Vernon as counselor. And sometimes having this urge to share something with somebody and not wanting to, but I wouldn't go away. And I, I learned early on that one time I knew for sure I could share something with a kid or even another teacher or anyone was whenever I really didn't want to, but God wouldn't let it go. And it's like, it got to be God because I don't want to do it. And yet it was a good thing. You know, like it was scary, sort of like, should I say that? And it, it, it never came back to bite me. Those times you just knew this is the thing. Other than that, usually just giving a space for p- kids to express their own doubts and concerns and questions and just, you know, guiding them to their own journey yeah. would work. All right. So let me ask you a broader question. Mm-hmm. You know, I, we all struggle with when is it appropriate to be able to to share my faith with a neighbor, mm-hmm. a co-worker, uh, an acquaintance, maybe even a stranger. Mm-hmm. Um, is that a gut feeling for you? It, you you said, you know, God wouldn't, you know, let you be if if you didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Is there another way to articulate that? Like, what what does that mean? Is that a feeling? Is that uh, is it anxiousness? Is it a it, it, it? Yeah, and that would be true for a lot of things. As far as God wanting me to do something or not do something, like uh, things I prayed for or af- about, like should I do this or you know, like this, and it's not. I don't know how it's. It's so hard for anyone, any one person to describe to someone else how God speaks to them because, like, it's really it's it's like how do you put that in words? It's yeah. even hear an audible voice. But in my head, it's me. It's like not a good thing. It's in my head. I just hear the, you know, it's, I'm not, I don't think I'm schizophrenic. Pretty sure I'm not. But the voices I hear in my head are not, not a mental illness. They are, you know, my thoughts. And, and occasionally it's confirmations from other people. I I would have to say scripture or other people, you know, like reiterating to you things that 
you know, you should be doing, but, but by and large, I have a lot of thoughts on my own and I, and I, and I don't want to blurt out thoughts on my own that aren't timely. Mm. I'm sure I have done that. I mean, I'm sure I have done that. I know I have done that because I always have thoughts, but, uh, true, but I truly know it's, it's the thing. It's, it's like, I hear a thought and I thought, that doesn't sound like anything I want to say. I don't know, you know, or like, whatever. When I know that, then I, then I know. I, if it won't go away and it's not something that I typically, because I would say I'm not super great at just sharing my faith with just anybody. Uh, as far as I'm not, I don't, I, it's different at my school because those are my students and I knew them and, or, I, and that was my role to care about them. And so that was not scary to me, but out in the world, you know, like there are people who are just really good at that. I think they have a real spiritual gift of just like, Hey, you know, and me, it's more, um, if I, if like in a setting where I've started a relationship like at church camp or Bible school or church or just at, you know, at, at another organization, somewhere that I feel sort of comfortable, then I'm way better at, at encouraging or supporting people in their faith than I am like, hey, you know, do you know Jesus? I'm really bad at that. I, I, I'm like, what? You know, this stranger, yeah. you know? I think, um, I think the <laughs> environment and the circumstances do do lend itself in terms of where our comfort level is mm-hmm. not just not just with our faith but everything in general but mm-hmm. but you know back to our faith you know there's a risk or a potential risk of mm-hmm. of uh saying the wrong thing mm-hmm. or maybe that person is is not receptive and we we don't want to face rejection but there are moments and you've alluded to them as a counselor of like nothing else speaks to this moment better than the Christ that I believe and follow. You know, this reminds me of a parable or the, the, the fountain of love or the outpouring of grace that comes with this faith that we have. Um, okay. Uh, I don't want to get into preaching here, (laughs) but uh, so I'll, I'll change change the subject a little bit. Okay, Carla, have you always been in the church? Uh, was there a pivotal moment in 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 your faith or a profession of faith or what? What does that look like for you? Well, yeah, I've I've always been in the church. I had never just like oh you know, I I was uh, raised by. Christian parents who had Christian parents who had Christian, you know, way back. <laughs> okay. And not all Cumberland, my, my uh, father's mother's people are Cumberland. And then his father's people were Christian church, church of Christ. And in other words, they had music, but basically it was church of Christ with pianos mm-hmm. and uh, very strong in that. So that wasn't, you know, as I grew up, you know, listening to that and that, you know, like there, that was kind of its own story there. And my mother uh, was raised Methodist. And when my parents uh, married and they married young, I was, they, my mother was 17 and my dad was 19. And uh, then I wasn't born until I was almost 25, which was very unusual. They all thought she was late having babies, you know, at 25 <laughs> and uh, she was working. So yeah, I know. Isn't that crazy? Now yeah. you're like, well, really? you know, but that was the world, you know, in the, in the, in the forties and the, in the fifties and yeah. all that. So she, um, so they, but they, since my dad's parents sort of like 
went back and forth on the churches, like his, there was a, there was, it's like, which church should we attend? And there was tension. He said, you know, he and my mom were like, you know, we're going to pick a church and we're going to go together. You know, so anyway, the Cumberland church, my mom felt comfortable with that. And my dad's mother's people did and that. So he had gone there part of the time. My mother came, so they came together and I was raised, you know, completely with that. Uh, my, and then my husband, uh, his parents were both Cumberland. They were both at least that generation. And then we met at church camp. And so our children, you know, it's the whole thing. So I've never always been a part of the Cumberland church, never, never joined another church. I, I was a member of White Oak Pond in, in Lebanon. And then when uh, Jim and I got married and, and we lived in Aurora, then I tra- transferred my membership to Orange. And that's been at two churches my whole life, all Cumberland. So you said that you met your future husband at camp. Yes. I'll tell that story. Oh gosh, yeah. Well, church camp. I'm still real involved. I've mentioned before. I'm business manager. I've I'm I've been director many years and worked on camp staff. We met um, actually not. We were children, children. But I was a teenager, and um, he's three years older than I am. And so it was kind of like his kind of end of the year. Like I, I think it was more like even like at our at our youth reconvocation, we're like junior high and high school together. So I knew his cousins and his brother and sister first. And then um, then that summer before my senior year, that's right, because he, I think back about that, he he was already working. And so he came to visit a lot. And those days, you know, lots of people came down local for the Vesper services every night. So he kept coming down. And so we became friends. And, you know, uh, my senior year of high school, um, Along about you know December, you know we've been writing letters because then people wrote letters, you know, like on paper with ink, and we didn't. And nobody called long distance. That was got cost money. So yeah. so we wrote letters <laughs> a lot, <laughs> and we were really good friends and and uh, talked about our faith and and that type of thing. And so so uh, we started dating. You know, in December, went to a, he he invited me to a um, come to, come by the our school and go to a. Uh, high school play that my sister was in and stuff and so but we had kind of always a long distance you know we he was in college and I was in high school and then and then uh, he would come from University of Missouri and drive through and go out on a date or something and he'd go on home and mm. you know so it was it was like our faith brought us together and um, we became good friends and then it was just like pretty quickly we're like this is more than friends i remember <laughs> you know because then i'm like it was like it was That's i think but it was pretty 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 quick it's like this is a person because i remember this is like again he would come through and we were we were sitting in his car outside of my music my music teacher was like a she was like this young high school music teacher she was a christian and she we were always going to her house the kids in the choir and stuff like that so we were i was we were at now her, the parking lot by her apartment and we were going to go in with some of the other my friends and and he says, like, he goes, you know, he said, you're really the kind of person I would like to marry. You know, that's how he, he said it. And I'm like, I think so, too. It's just like, we were just like, <laughs> you know, really, it was just, you know. And uh, so then we didn't get formally engaged until the next fall. And so I just started college. I mean, I was just 18 years old. So, um, you know, then uh, we got married the next summer and I know my, my mom was just absolutely sure I'd quit college and it was going to, you know, she loved Jim, but she didn't think that she thought I was too young. I look back now and think, Holy cow, I was pretty young. <laughs> and she, no wonder the poor woman was afraid I'd quit college. But then I was like, I'm not quitting college if it kills me. Pretty wrong, <laughs> mom. You know? So we got married and, and uh, yeah. Yeah. That you and your husband have raised three children 
who mm-hmm. are now adults. And mm-hmm. all three of them are very active in their church and they're involved in various events and just the life of the denomination. Mm-hmm. So what advice do you have for encouraging and fostering participation uh, with children, youth, and adults in the life of the church? What's your secret? Well, I feel very blessed that my children are, are involved um, in church, and they've, they've never, they've really never stopped either. You know, they grew up at the Orange Cumberland Presbyterian Church. I mentioned that my husband grew up in, and that we've been in all their lives, and went to church camp where we went to church camp and met at Camp Cumberland. Um, and early, you know, and it, raising kids is tough and teenage kids are tough. And, you know, there's the normal struggles of, you know, communication and in grades and stupid boyfriends that, you know, <laughs> they didn't need to go out with. And I won't name any names of anybody, but, you know, just all those things. And then peer pressures of, of other people, but all, all the time, you know, church was, you know, I think, you know, no matter what, our, their local congregation, they knew they were loved. They knew they were accepted. And because it was a small rural church, everybody did everything. I mean, kids are, and that's still true at Orange, you know, yet kids and teenagers had lots of involvement and leadership early on because that's everything happened together. We did everything, things together. And so they were always, I, I think, would have felt um, validated and involved and um essential, you know, to the life of the church. They, you know, then went to church camp, they went to CBYC. Um, in fact, in, and then Joanna in particular, and in, in the middle one, she, middle children, you know, they do their own thing and she's always done their own thing, but she not only was involved, but she, she like joined the youth group at the Baptist church in Mount Vernon was then that, and she was in extra stuff beyond our church as well. You know, um, I, I just she was in a Christian singing group. I mean, she was just all this extra stuff. And I think, you know, the others, Jonathan also, when he was in high school, he was also joined a youth group in town with his friends. It's just all of these being kind of, I don't know, it, it, it's just what they did. And I just think providing the opportunities for them, making sure that they, you know, got to camp, that they got to the, I think those activities and those involvements with other peers of Christians, um, or just vital, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to that. And, and then I just talked to my kids, Harper will, my granddaughter will say, when well, grandma, you talk all the time. And well, that's true. But I, I don't know. I, I talked to my kids to death. Probably we talked to ask questions. We talked in the car, you know, what do you think about this? You know, I don't know, but, um, and pray. For, I don't know. I'm, and the older I get, the more I pray. I'm just pray for your kids, pray for them make sure that, you know, do whatever you can to walk alongside them in it. But I see, I know I see parents whose grown kids are just kind of, they faded away from the church. I don't know. I don't know for sure what mattered. I just know that what we did, I, you know, I did the best I could. And it's just a blessing to see them serve, serve God and serve the church now and watch them be leaders in their own ways. And all, and all three of them are, that's for sure. Carla, where are you experiencing God's presence in this world today? You personally, mm-hmm. where you see, where are you seeing God's activity? Where are you, where are you feeling God's presence in your own personal mm-hmm. life? I think 
bringing things down to the to the to congregational level and personal, I see a lot there right now. Um, our our little church is really pretty pretty vital. I mean, it's it's you know, COVID was hard, you know, like for everybody, but we've come out of that, and we just we have new people coming. We have new things happening. Uh, one thing that started over a year ago. Um, I had had I had a Bible a women's Bible study in my home for about five years, previous to COVID, and you know it would differ. It would c- come, oh, seven or eight people, sometimes five or six people through the years, and some people were always in it. Some people go one year and they didn't. It was just come, but it kind of came to where it was like this was before COVID even. It, it was like this was kind of that thing was done for now. You know, like this is done its thing, but a mist kind of a that, and I had this sort of like idea that I'd like to have some kind of really, really smaller prayer group, just really focusing on prayer. So long story short, um, over a year ago, um, two ladies in my church, one's our pastor's wife and a really good friend who's just a little bit younger than me. And then an older lady in our church who's in her eighties. And the three of us have met most every week for over a year at, at my house. Once in a while, we've done some other things like met somewhere else, or sometimes we've gone and visited people too. But primarily prayer, and we pray, and we're it's about three hours, and people go, "You pray for three hours?" And it's like you don't sit and close your eyes for three hours. <laughs> what we do that would be really like the Quakers, or so I don't know, I couldn't do that. Uh, or we, or some just call that a nap. I know exactly, <laughs> but what we do is we we come together and we and we share concerns. We are it is like you have you have to do this. I think you have to have a really small group, and you have to have people who are really confidential beyond anything you could they just had that nature about that they understand this mm-hmm. is confidential so it's safe so we so it's that very much that way and so we we share people that we know that need prayer and we talk about it specifically and we tell the backstory that we know and we try we create a, a story and a picture so that we really know the people in the situation and we all share that and then that takes over an hour really it does because we talk about that and then, you know, then we, it, I don't know how to describe this because then we talk before and I should agree to and share our own burdens and, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, then we pray very specifically that then we divide up the things we've talked about and then we pray out loud specifically for all those things in detail. And it has just been an incredible journey. Uh, I don't know how to describe it. That's just been amazing. And, um, if we can't meet a certain week, we miss, we, the three of us miss it completely. Um, you know, and, and it's like when we started, it's like, how do we, you know, like make not people feel left out, but really I can't remember now how we did it, but it just that we just knew those three, we didn't really need a lot of other people. We didn't want a lot of other people. We just needed that. So it's worked really well. That's been life-changing. Another thing that just in my own devotions, um, uh, morning's best for me. And I always, it has been there all my adult life and I've done different things. But one thing about two years ago, I started, which really changed my prayer life in the mornings is, is journaling those prayers. And I know a lot of people talk about journaling and I really does it differently. But for me, uh, no one could read it later. My handwriting, I just, I'm writing, but by but it, and it's, they don't need to read it later. I fill books, you know, of journal and I don't write every word, but as I pray, if I'm writing the prayer, it helps me focus. Otherwise, my mind is going like crazy, all these different places. But because I, I write it, it's just made me focus on the prayer. And um, I don't know if I'll ever stop that. I mean, it just has made a huge difference in my you, ability to pray in the morning. 
do you what do you pray for? Do you pray or pray for people? Do you pray for mm-hmm. events? Do you pray for future stuff? Do you pray for current? What does that? I mean, you don't have to yeah. like name names. But, <laughs> I'm praying but, for Susie. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, Susie, no. and Mister Jones. Susie, Mister Jones. <laughs> uh, so, any or above the all, and it, it, every, every day is a little different, you know, because it just is. I don't know. So sometimes, almost always praying for somebody else in that you know there's usually some one or two people at least if not lots that I'm on my mind but um the day you know like and then and usually praying that whatever is coming that day that you know God will give me the right you know accomplish what needs to be accomplished not worry about what not is not need to be worried about you know the words the safety um but sometimes it's the world sometimes it's you know I mean it, there's usually I run out of time for all the things. So like I, I get up early, but then you're like writing and writing and something happens. You have to like close it off. But um, any or any of all those things, it, it varies from day to day, really kind of what, what might be the main focus of that. What does it do for you and your relationship with God? That, that prayer and that journaling. Uh-huh. Well, it's like, even through the day, I'll kind of then better remember I prayed about that. <laughs> so that I don't worry <laughs> about something like, Okay. Oh, I got to get all these things done. But oh yeah, I prayed about that. It's okay. You know, it makes a difference in, in, in my day, you know, that I did. And I also like, you know, I don't like to say I'll pray for somebody and then forget because I, because I, you know, you forget those things. Like whenever I notice we have a pretty active um, Facebook pageant group in our church and people put prayer requests on there at different times and people will say they're praying and stuff. And, and I don't know whether they are or not, but I, I don't want to say I am if I'm not, because that's just part of my personality. I don't like to break promises or lie. And (laughs) so I'll tend to then like if I see it and I say it, I I just I mean, that very second I pray for that person. And if I never remember it again, then at least I have. And but by doing that, then I might remember. And then the prayer group itself that we meet weekly helps me remember people. Mm -hmm. So therefore, it reinforces, you know, who who I am praying for. And if I'm, and, and then we see results. If I think writing things down and doing it more consciously, it's like when you see a clear answer that really seems, especially when it seems like really out of the blue, like, or anything like bigger than you thought, it's like, wow, mm. wow. Increases your faith. Okay. <laughs> Another silly question. You know, a lot of churches have uh, on their bulletins or like a newsletter or whatever, they'll have their mm-hmm. prayer concerns. And they have a list of mm-hmm. people and families, um, and those can get kind of lengthy. Does your uh, weekly prayer time with your prayer partners, do you, does that list just keep getting bigger? and bigger and bigger over the years? Or do you take, do you take events or people or things off? What, how does that work? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'm not sure if this is the right way, but what's kind of happened is there are certain, it's kind of whatever we bring to it. Like, like we don't like keep a long list and then we always bring it back. Like each time we meet, you know, but whatever is like burdening that person, if it's still burdening them and they still feel that person needs prayer, then we write it down that, that week. Okay. And um, I think maybe my two friends might take their papers home and read on them again. I rip mine up and go on because that's like this is that was that day, you know. <laughs> and I and I start over. So 
and I maybe I don't know if it's kind of quirky, but who God brings to our mind, my mind specifically me. It's like who's bringing him to my mind, and and if I there if I or who's burden you know who am I burdened for then? But we bring that together. Now our church has you know we have prayer concerns that we have during the worship service, and are shared, and uh, our pastor keeps a list of those, and then our then also our our person who does our bulletin has keeps writes those down so there's like a if it's a church-wide sort of concern it might stay on the list for a while you know okay but, but back to your your group though mm-hmm. each each partner each person mm-hmm. brings fresh mm-hmm. yeah. prayer concerns yes. to that yes. meeting and there may be something or someone from uh-huh. the previous time yes but when you when you enter into the room together it, it it's a it's a new day it's, it's a new, a new day meeting. every time we okay. rip out the steno pad and then we start over. What's our list, you know? Okay. All right. That day. That's helpful. <laughs> Cause I, I was just picturing, man, if you do this oh, no. weekly, yeah. it mm. made me think of those bulletins and newsletters that <sighs> really know. just get. And get nobody really ever long. comes off. I know. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, just, yeah, we just start over. It's okay. a new day every day. Yeah. I think that's helpful because, you know, if others are, are thinking about that, that would be a positive way and it would be a good way to try if you hadn't done prayer partners before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I could see that getting lengthy. Carla, let's talk about the church for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Where do you see the presence of the church uh, in the future in our world? What do you think that will look like? Well, I can say for sure what I hope it looks like. I may, you know, I don't know, but. The, the church, when you think about the church in the future, I have to think too about the church in the past. Like if you think about from the church through the ages, you know, mm-hmm. and how, how it began and how some things just pierce through and are all, I mean, it's just like, that is the way it is. I mean, that is Jesus. And that is Jesus. Jesus, Jesus Christ is saying yesterday and day and forever. You're like going, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's Jesus, you know, and that, you know, there's certain things that ha- they have to be real because they've stood the test of time in such an incredible way. You know, you know, they're, they're just so real. Then other things that depending as the church has grown and expanded through the globe and as lives of, you know, like the world changes things that, you know, practices or traditions change because the, you know, it's different place and it's different time. Um, and I, that just, it has to, you know, we don't all wear robes anymore, you know, except maybe the choir robes. I don't know. You know, you know, we, our clothes change, our hair changes, our food changes, you know, the way we travel changes. So all those things change. And so the church changes. So I, so I think in the future, we have to hang on to Jesus. You know, we have to, the, and I think about like, what's it like? I really, now I didn't grow up memorizing the Apostles' Creed and I don't, can't even remember the whole thing now. But I do think that when people have asked me, what do you think about this issue or that issue? Well, I tend to be more like, well, I don't know. You know, I, I feel I mean, like, I think this or think that, but I'm open to God, you know, like, I, I you know, there, but, but, but I, what I can say is, my doggies, I can, I can stand on the Apostles' Creed. I can say, the Trinity, Jesus died, he rose again. He lives forever. He's coming back. You know, that I can stand on, you know? And so I, the church, to be the church has to be that. I think, or it's not the church. I think you have to have that. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to have that common deal. Um, the church is the body of Christ. And so how does that play out? Well, 
but the but the but the world does change and and gosh after after the covid thing and then we have so much technology electronic electronics in our world and our um i i've done a lot of research in the past over generational uh studies you know sociologically you know you've got your you know um, baby boomers that are still living you have my parents age group that's basically gone you know that that they call it the military age or the you know that 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 grew up you know through the wars you know first world war and second world war that's something they're gone baby boomers big group of us uh and then you got your gen x and your millennials and your gens and then these younger ones my goodness you know everything so electronic so individual um we have to address that we have to reach those people and it's not just about having more technology it's really about understanding where they're coming from and how they think and what their needs are so we have to address those i think we need to understand it and then after the covid thing it really you know kind of shifted us into ooh we got to rethink how do we how do we have church mm-hmm. you know churches met in homes in the early days they met underground <laughs> they met in the streets and the valleys you know in later times we built buildings or whatever but um, I, I just in our own presbytery talking to just ministers I know or people I know, you know, how to rethink. Um, there are people that after COVID just never really came back to yeah. the building, even though, and part of it is the older people that then, you know, I know at our church, you know, that older generation, you know, they got, they, they have to go home, blah, 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 and some of them then, then just kind of got unused to be in there. And or they have other health problems or whatever, and they're still they're still now really super worried about germs and all that. So I think that's part of it. But then there's what really concerns me are the maybe the millennials who some of them are like my own children are super involved, you know, super involved. But I also see some that just kind of got unused to being involved in the church. They just kind of got they they stayed home and then they did things with their kids outside. Well, now they're back in school. They're back to their activities, but it, by by and large, you don't. There's some of them that yeah, church is kind of like well, you know, if we have time, that used to maybe be more involved. And so, then you've got the people who weren't in church to begin with, and it was always the challenge in getting in there. Now, I think it's even more. So, I think we have to rethink how do what are the what are the needs of the people or the community, both, and then how do we meet those needs and do they have to be at the building? Well, maybe, maybe not, but really not just assume, oh, well, they just, they're not coming back to church every week. So they should just come, you know, well, they might not. So anyway, so, so like for one, for one thing, like with our own congregation, um, we, we are attempting to start a couple of home groups that meet on like every other Wednesday night um, to try to have a different, different focus and try to reach out there, you know, and we do other things as well that we've been doing, but that's kind of a new thing. And, but even that is a challenge because people, it's a weeknight and people that haven't been, you know, so it's always a challenge to get people involved. Our our own, our own community of our church does our best work when we find something to do together uh, to help other people. And that's been the biggest thing. You know, we, we have a really great Bible school, even though we don't have, maybe we have like six kids in our church, but at Bible school, people are reaching out to their community. They're bringing them in and we do a great Bible school. Uh, we do partner with some other churches in town to do a summer feeding program. Our people are there like mopping up and cooking and doing all that stuff. 
you know, and so it's like if you, if you, you know, for some people, it's just, you know, getting them involved in doing something for others, not just going and sitting and listening so much. But I, I just hope that as a church that we can do that, that we can meet the needs of a new generation. Then the other thing I, I, I just hope is that when I mentioned that Apostles' Creed, that that we can, as a church, focus on the gospel of Jesus and really get that right and really bring that to the world. Because if we do that, the other stuff that we disagree about or that we worry about or that whatever, it'll it, it, it'll 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 it, it'll come along. That stuff, you know, because really. The church is about Jesus dying for us and rising again and coming back. That's what it's about. It's the only thing that I, I remember one thing I was thinking about. The only thing you think about like, okay, today in the world, um, what there's a lot of evil in the world. There's a lot of pain and suffering in the world. And I thought more recently, you know, Really, Jesus does have the only answer to that. If, if there's not salvation and if there's not atonement, if there's not a regeneration, it's the only thing that will battle evil. We can't battle evil with, you know, laws or or good intentions. The only way to battle evil is to transform it with the grace of God. You had mentioned earlier about the children in the school system, mm-hmm. you know, entering school ninth grade and watching them transform by the time they graduated. Mm-hmm. How have you changed? How have you been transformed by the love and grace of God in Jesus Ooh, that's Christ? Because that's like a long journey. Because I, I became a right, Christian. I, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so because, like you it's like it's by it's bits and pieces along the way. Yeah. I think, you know, the, the lesson I have learned better and keep learning is, yeah, I used to get mad when people would have the prayers and not my will, but thine be done. Cause I think, well, that's not very much faith. When I was like a teenager, <laughs> young adult, like when you say that, it's like, oh, well, whatever, you know, but, but in later years, I'm like, I, I kind of get that better, you know, yeah. that, you know, be I, I really believe be if we really want to know God better, He wants us to know Him better. Okay, so if we really want to know Him better, we have to be willing to listen, and we have to be willing to give up our own um, conceptions or frustrations or whatever, and be ready and willing to follow. Mm-hmm. And so, so many times in my life, I thought oh, I really want this thing or that thing, you know. But being willing to not have that thing, if that's what he asks, is huge to the next thing. And trusting that even though things seem all the way around, that he's got it. You know, I'm, there are times I'm just really glad I was raised Presbyterian because I believe I think we need that sovereignty of God thing. <laughs> you know, it's like I'm really I'm good with that. You know, it's like. <laughs> So that oh, looking over the course of your faith journey, that's mm-hmm. where you see those those transformations, mm-hmm. little chipping away oh, yes. of yeah. of less of Carla and Carla's mm-hmm. will, mm-hmm. and a little more of mm-hmm. the humility of 
seeking out what God's will is. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. One last question. We were talking off mic about some of the things that you're involved in now. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask you to close out our conversation. What does the season of your life look like now? What are you involved in? Oh, yes, because I, I retired from school counseling in 2017. Mm-hmm. And um, that was kind of an interesting thing because I loved my job until I didn't. And it was like, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's true. It's just that's so true. It's just like um, I loved it. And it, there was um, lots of family things that issues that were needing my attention, mm-hmm. health concerns of family members, um, you know, my children's business that was growing and I just was needed and I kept being pulled and I, and I, and I was like, not, uh, I never not, I wanted to give my all and always did in my career. I mean, I like wanted to be there. I didn't want to be gone. I wanted to do it well. I didn't want to not do it well. So I was feeling pulled, but I was still, was like, I don't know. It's like been one forever. What would happen? And, and so I remember praying, God, if you want me to retire after this year because it's like a I mean, it's been like the you know you don't just you know quit your job in september at a school that doesn't work very well <laughs> well you, you know, could you, to, you, you could, could but it's not very nice to those people <laughs> at the time you know so i'm like if you if this is it take away my desire mm. to, and and i'm telling you what tj i mean it was like the next day it was done mm. and i mean i'm like and uh so then i'm like then i'm just like to get used to the idea and then I was like thinking about it and I didn't really talk to anybody about it I just in my mind I was thinking that I could see it and later on my good friends that worked at the school too she's a teacher she was saying I could see there was changes she she could see it and but she didn't ask she just let me do her thing and, and I remember talking to my husband about it sometime along late in fall and saying well you, I, you know because he'd said before when you were retired it's fine you know we'll do something you know whatever and he's like yeah whatever you want I'm like okay so once I told him then I told my kids and then then I had to tell my secretary who'd been my secretary and, and is still a really good friend of mine for like of the 28 years, like 25 of them. And that was really strong. That's, that was hard. She did not do well with that. And uh, <laughs> that's another whole story. She's still her precious friends, but she's like, you're leaving me. But anyway, um, it, it, it was just like that year I, I wrote up my descriptions. I got my house in order. I mean, I was just like, it's done. I know I'm done and I'm done, you know, did I just like have all the jobs. So I'm out here. And I was really afraid, like, what's going to happen? And like, you know, what people, you know, it was a weird adjustment. But jumping into, uh, it's just like a me- full. My life is just like crazy full. And I um, work with my daughter's business. I do all the accounting and bookkeeping and business management for my daughter's uh, shared business. And that takes up quite a bit. Uh, I do all the farm records and money for our, our farm. And uh, then at the time, my mother and my mother-in-law were both living and did a lot of elder care and painting, and they've both since passed away. And then the grandchildren came. So now I'm working with the grandchildren and then super involved in church stuff. Went on the, you know, been on the ministry council, um, business camp manager, camp director, church stuff. Is it just just full? And then just being available. I really like this whole thing of like, okay, you know, like. I can go to the hospital and visit somebody. I can go help someone take, I mean, I really want to help people. Mm-hmm. And because I have my teacher retirement and I earned that and it's coming to me, I can do all these things to help people and, and still buy groceries, which is great. <laughs> Are you enjoying this season of your life? 
Oh yes. I love, I love it. I really do. I, I really do. I, uh, I never get bored. And that's one thing when people say, how do you like being a school counselor? I say, well, I never get bored. And I never was. It's crazy every day. <laughs> and this is, I never get bored now because there's always a bunch of things on my list of things I could do if I wasn't doing that. Whatever that, that is at that moment, which is here talking to you or, you know, whatever. <laughs> Carla, I've enjoyed our conversation. You are my new fast talking friend. <laughs> I hope I hope I hope that people can understand me. I'm I, I just can't slow down very well. <laughs> no, we were we were able to uh, uh as we were talking off mic, I, I was looking forward to it because I just figured we could pack in more information in a yeah. same amount of time that we could spend just with your mm -hmm. fast talking. And you yeah. didn't really do it that often. You were so worried about it. There was no worry. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> thank you for bringing me into your life and thank you for sharing your faith and how you're living that out. And thank you for serving on the ministry council. You're welcome. I, I want my last couple, you know, couple of years to just be that on there to do the very best I can for the church, because I, I, I mean, I love the church. It's, it's, you know, it's all I've ever known. Well, uh, shake it up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there we go. <laughs> in good ways. <laughs> in good ways. <laughs> Carla, yes. thank you. Thank you so much. You're quite welcome. I've enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to The Cumberland Road. If you enjoyed this podcast, follow it on Apple, Google, Spotify, your favorite podcasting site. In conversing with Carla, she talked about how important prayer is in her life. In closing, I share 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 14 and 15. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place.